Each one is a story. Each one is a life. Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. My guest this episode is Jen Brissett. She's a writer, artist, former bookshop owner, and web developer. Her debut novel, Elysium, in addition to being one of my favorite books from last year, received the 2014 Philip K. Dick Special Citation Award. It was a finalist for the 2015 Locus Award for Best First Novel, and placed on the honor list for the Tip Tree Award. I found it wonderful. I found the structure very interesting. I found the ways that it played with notions of reality and also gender and and the constant characters shifting gender and shifting settings really really wonderful it was it was a tough first read for me i was kind of okay on it and the more i have thought about it since i finished it the more it's really grown on me and i've i've really enjoyed it so thank you for that well thank you thank you I tend to start by asking my guests how they got into science fiction and fantasy and speculative and how much they read other things. And my sense is that you are a lot more omnivorous than I am. Where did your reading come from and what are you reading now? Oh, boy. <clears throat> well, let's see. Um, I've always been a reader. Um, I, I, I have a difficult time reading, so it's always a challenge for me to read, but I've always read a lot. And um, when growing up, I don't think there was they they really understood that kids needed guidance <laughs> in their reading. So I um, mean, I grabbed a lot of stuff that was you know probably not appropriate for me to read. But um, I think from you know picking up all kinds of crazy books because I grew up in Cambridge, Mass, and at the time there was just a lot of bookstores there, mm-hmm. and I would find myself in the corner, you know, dusty corner with a pile of books trying to read stuff and it's not that science fiction wasn't of interest to me but I just wasn't reading it and I really didn't have any guidance in it and I just read a lot of other kinds of stuff sometimes silly stuff but as I got into college I started to figure out that that I was a little bit behind because um all the other kids had reading lists in their summer so they had read all these you know Moby Dick and all this stuff and I had not read any of that stuff so I started trying to figure out how to read on my own and I you know Somehow I got into Dostoevsky. Do not ask me how, <laughs> <laughs> but I but I did. I got into that, and I and I started trying to read some of the uh, you know those kind of British classics, you know Thomas Hardy and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, because I was just trying to figure out how to catch up. Mm-hmm. And um, I started reading things like I, I mean I saw people around campus reading Malcolm X, so I'm reading Malcolm X. You know, and I'm I, I was just trying to catch up to everybody. I had a a friend on our floor. I, I was an engineering student. Um, okay. I got my, my got my degree in electrical engineering. But there was a kid on my on my floor who had the Foundation series, and I had not. I think I had heard of Asimov, but I really didn't clue in to who he was and mm-hmm. what what's all about. And I asked him, for, you know, can I look at the first book? And he was like, sure. You know, he just needs to like glow. He's just, you know, I'm going to introduce somebody to Asimov. Yeah. <laughs> And I read the first one, and I was like, oh, I really got into it. And then I came back for the second one, and he, he was just blowing every time I came back. You know, it's like the next week I come back for it. And I read the whole thing. And um, and Asimov was actually um, a professor in English at EU when I was there. So I got to see him mm-hmm. uh, speak. 
So now I was like excited to see him speak because I actually knew who he was. And um, so uh, all those engineering kids went over there. To, it was like the 200th anniversary of BU and they had this big symposium and huge crowd and Asimov was up there speaking about whatever he was speaking about. It was very exciting. Um, but I don't think even then, I mean, that might have been my first inkling about science fiction, but I really didn't clue in to being, well, being a writer at all or that I would write science fiction. I guess when it really started to hit me, it's like after many, many years now, I was an engineer for a while, and then I cast out back in the days when you can do that sort of thing, and the IPOs and all that stuff. I opened up the bookstore, mm-hmm. and I read for about three years, and then that finally went away in a very, you know, <laughs> not fun way, because the economy and my life is, you know, somewhat destroyed. I had to um, start, you know, doing doing something with my life, and I started writing, because I really, it was really um, just sort of stay sane, and I was really just confused for a number of years after the store closed, and I would just get up at night and just start fiddling around with some stories, fiddling around uh, with different things, not telling anybody I was doing it, oh my God, <laughs> and all this was really, really bad stuff, but it was really, it was getting stuff out of my system, and um, around, I guess it was 2006, when um, Octavia Butler died, um, it was like this huge breakup call. Uh, it, it just, you know, I mean, when I heard Amy Goodman announce that she had passed away, um, I I just shot straight up out of bed. I was sleeping, kind of listening to the radio and sort of sleeping in the morning. Uh-huh. And I was just floored. I just, and it, it that really made everything a lot more serious. And it sort of, it was the um, maybe the jerk that I needed to realize that, you know what, I should write. If I'm going to do this writing thing, then I should at least take it seriously and see what I can do. I started doing all the things new authors have to do, like brush up on my grammar. And I started taking all these books out of used bookstores or whatever to, to really help, and help you know improve my writing, those mm-hmm. kind of writing improvement books that like, you know, I went through. So many of those things, and I did them diligently. I got my notebook, and I really, really kind of cleaned up the way I wrote and um, started investigating the science fiction world, which I didn't know really that much about. I was more of a fan and a very distant fan at that. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about the field. I really didn't know about who the current people were, were writing. I didn't know anything. I really was just completely new. And I started listening to podcasts. <laughs> Um, because they were, they were kind of new and, um, and I, and I listened to this podcast called, um, Adventures in Science Fiction Publishing. Uh-huh. I think I, I got into it just because of the name and they yeah. seem to have a focus on new writers. And, uh, one summer when Clarion was having this crazy list of writers going to be the teachers, like Neil Gaiman and James Patrick Kelly and Marianne Moharaj and, Oh, gosh, I think they were Hopkinson and, and, and Jeffrey Ryman. I mean, it was just like this crazy list of people who, and everybody in the world applied, including myself. And, of course, I did not get in. Um, I've never gone to Clarion. I've applied three times, have not got in. That's fine. <laughs> um, but that summer, Adventures in Science Fiction Publishing interviewed every one of the writers that taught at Clarion at the end of the week. So oh, you got interesting. Years- you know, what they had to talk about in the class with, you know, and it was like, oh, I'm totally going to listen to that. If I can't go, yeah. I said, I'm going to at least listen. 
so I listened to all of them one by one, and uh, the, the person who really energized me was James Patrick Kelly. I mean, he, he's just full of energy and just so enthusiastic and just really had all these great things to say. And then he mentioned that he was teaching at this place called Stone Coast. It's like an MFA program. Mm-hmm. And um, and by then I was like, wow, what could I lose? I mean, I, I, I applied. It's the only graduate program I applied. I was not one of, I mean, I had no intention of getting a master's in anything, but I figured why not apply, you know? And uh, I got in. <laughs> and, um, and lo and behold, uh, James Patrick Kelly became my mentor. And uh, I started writing, seriously then. Elysium ended up being my master's thesis. Mm-hmm. So about two years after that, you know, I had a full novel. It's it's so interesting. Partly, it's kind of amazing to me just to, just to just to hear you say it, and and kind of the the string of events that led there. But it's also interesting as I talk to more people about how they got interested in the genre, or as you hear writers tell their stories. You know, the story about oh, I've been writing since I was since I was six. I've always been able yeah. to put in this. And <laughs> it, it's fascinating how many different stories everybody has. I was definitely one of those, not one of those that said, oh, by 11, I knew I was going to be a writer and I was studying. No, that was not. <laughs> that was completely not me. There's this ongoing, off and on discussion about canon and what it means to have a canon and how to find a canon and the ways that canons are confining and, and assert power hierarchies. And it's interesting that it sounds like part of what you did, especially with just general reading when you got to college, was like, what are the books I am supposed to have read and, and yeah. the weight of that. Do you feel that either with science fiction and fantasy as you're trying, as, as you're writing in it, or do you feel it generally? Very, very good question, actually. Um, because um, definitely I felt it in my early 20s, just like, I have to catch up. I just felt so behind. And all I was doing was trying to figure out what I should need to read. I mean, in, in engineering school, they don't exactly encourage you to read, but I sort of <laughs> really wanted to do that because I really just felt like I couldn't have a decent conversation with another educated person if I didn't know, and I was missing out on jokes or something, you know, because people were making references to things, and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. So I definitely felt that pressure in my 20s. And then past a certain point, I started reading stuff on my own that I just, that weren't part of like, oh, you should know this book kind of stuff. Um, there was stuff that I was just wanted to read, like I wanted to read Toni Morrison and Gloria Naylor at that time. Um, so I was reading that kind of work. And then after a while, I started to realize that I was getting past people who had read the quote-unquote canon, but just stopped. Mm-hmm. Like they read what they were supposed to, and then they, you know, they were done. And I kept going. And I, I, I find reading to be very enriching of my life. A book I read like 20 years ago, something will happen in my life and, and something about that book will sort of help put it into focus or something. So, so reading for me is very, very almost spiritual experience. And that's, um, so I'm saying this in that when I got into science fiction, yes, I did feel a pressure to sort of read whatever the science fiction canon is. And I quickly got over that because I realized that it was the same thing that I was dealing with mainstream fiction. That the canon and what people are sort of saying, well, you have to have read this, you have to have read Heinlein, you have to have read all, you know, 
this guy and that guy. Um, it's not, it, it's just, none of it is true. I, I think it's helpful to just read what you like, read what you enjoy. You, you mentioned reading being almost spiritual for you. Does the, do you care physical books, electronic books? I'm going to assume based on having owned a bookstore that you're probably a physical book person, but I do, do does it matter to you? <laughs> well, are you an um, audiobook person? Oh, I'm definitely, I fell into audiobooks about a couple of years ago because I had bronchitis. When I had bronchitis, I couldn't physically read until I started listening to audiobooks because I couldn't sleep either. So I was mm-hmm. up 24-7 lying there in fever and I listened to so many books. I mean, Yes, I listened to all of the George R. R. Martin Fire <laughs> and Ice stuff, but I listened to Don Quixote. I listened to um, I just really long, long books. Um, so I'm really I got into audiobooks. I'm sort of peeling away from that these days. Physical books I do prefer. I haven't. I'm able to read um, like articles and short stories on my tablet, but other than that, I really have a hard time. Writing long, reading longer pieces, um, um, electronically. I do use my tablet for my comic books, and I've been getting back into that, which has been really great. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with graphic novels these days. Mm-hmm. I guess I go back and forth, and you know, each medium for for different things, sort of person. I'm, I'm not like you know religious on which which medium. Oh my God! If you don't give me a physical book, I will scream. I'm, I'm not really that for a long anything like. Okay. Well, let's move a little bit to narrative structure. When I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing you, I got a question about this. And I grew up on the epic fantasy of the 80s and 90s, in which a young farm boy is chosen by destiny, and he goes to a place, and he collects an object, and he confronts the evil, and then, you know, everything is better. Or at least that's where the story ends, so who knows whether everything is better or not. The hero's journey. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Over and over and over again, endlessly. And that means that when I think about plot and structure, I think about getting from point A to B and stories being about kind of the way the person is moving in the world. There are clearly lots of other ways to do that. And, and (laughs) Elysium, Elysium had a very different narrative structure and, 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 how do you think about structure? How do you try to construct it? How how do you read it? Like, just help me out here on on getting out of my point A to point B framework and and thinking about other ways to to approach the books I'm reading. Well, I mean, definitely that is the the, the straightforward narrative structure is very popular because it's you know it's the one we know. It's the story that we're told when we're kids. You know, Hansel and Gretel, blah, that that kind of stuff. You know classic stories that just, you know, plot, 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 you know what's happening, like you just said. Mm-hmm. But structure, a narrative structure, is something that I like to play with because it can mimic what you're trying to say in the book and give it much more texture. I, I mean, I don't sit down and say, I'm going to go play with this narrative structure now. I try to think of the story first, what it is that I'm trying to say and the structure follows the story. So in the case of Elysium, and keep in mind, this was my master's thesis, and I had my mentor at the time, for the, my master's was Liz Hand, who was really just superb. 
And what, what she was really great about was not telling me that what I was doing was nuts, because it really, <laughs> really was. But the structure of Elysium was about describing what a disaster is. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of um, simplifying it to just sort of be able to explain it, but... Mm-hmm. When you, when you think about a disaster, when, when I, you know, when I see a mass grave and I hear about a mass grave, I mean, it's a horrible thing. And, you know, like when you have the uh, Iraq war and you see the numbers, you just see the numbers of people who are dead. Give me a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million. And it's just numbers. But each one of those numbers is a story. Mm-hmm. Is a, is a person's life. I mean, I wrote a, um, a very early story called As Nina's Black Box which was built on sort of um, a still Haiti situation and, and a massacre in, in Haiti. It's not really Haiti, it's a fantasy, fantasy island I created. But the idea that within that mass grave, mass destruction, great mass of people who have gone, each one is a special, unique story. And mm-hmm. they, they have a beginning, middle, and end. That person in there. Now you just multiply it by 10, by 100. And now you see that the pile of people takes on a different texture. It's not just numbers now. So when you look at Elysium, I'm telling yes, the same story over and over. But this is one big disaster. This is one big horrible thing that has happened. And I'm telling you, you know, the story of they, they keep, you know, losing each other over and over. But they're different people. But it's the same story. Mm-hmm. And if this, I mean, when I was thinking of Elysium, I mean, at the time I didn't even realize it, but I was really kind of thinking about 9/11 a little bit because that was still in my system. I was hearing that happen, and it was just a horrible, horrible thing. And you see all these missing posters all over the place, and each one is a story. Each one is a life that is gone, or people whose relationships are destroyed, their whole family because somebody is gone. And you mm-hmm. tell it over and over and over again. And so when I looked at the narrative structure for Elysium, I realized that I needed a spiral structure to kind of give it the texture that it needed to really explain what this disaster was that happened in this book. So that's why I chose that structure. Now, um, you can do all kinds of different, you know, they're braided structures, they're you know, cyclical structures, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. But I really mean to, to sort of just say I'm gonna take a structure and play with it is not really what I do. And I I'm I mean, I guess there's a little misconception out there that you know, like, oh Jen is just sort of like playing with you know, no, that's not really what I'm doing here. <laughs> I mean, I really I think of writing period, but you know, writing science fiction, this is an art form. This is um this is a craft and it's an art form, and it's a means of expression. It's yes, there's entertainment to it. There's entertainment to any kind of art that a person, an artist, can do. But I mean, because this is my life work. This is what's important to me. This is I'm trying to express things. I'm trying to say things. I'm you know, supposedly you only get one chance. So, mm-hmm. so the idea of just sort of playing around is not really what I'm doing here. And so when I think of Messing with, you know, narrative structure, I'm not messing with it. I'm really taking a look at the landscape of the piece and seeing how I can carve something meaningful out of it. The thing that I pick up on, and um, a couple of the reviews I read described it as kind of ripples 
like a, a stone dropped and then ripples, but that, yeah. that there is near the end, there's the separation between Antoine and Adrian. And then, and then we've, it's, it's like we're moving towards that separation, but we get, we get the ripples and echoes of that separation told over and over again as a way, I, I think maybe to sort of, well, I guess it does a few things because it certainly impacts the, or, or, or heightens the emotional impact when we see that separation, but, but I'm, I'm also thinking about your, each one of those losses is a loss and a story. And we get a lot of separations and there, there are some real similarities between them and some, and some ways that they're kind of universal, but also some ways that each one of them is very, very particular and specific. Yeah, you're totally getting it. I, totally I, good. <laughs> I am amazed that you, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm thinking through it out loud because I, I hadn't, I hadn't really made all of those connections until you kind of described it. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me as, as I think a reader and a fairly unsophisticated reader in a lot of ways or someone who's still learning this. It's amazing to me that you're able to sort of take the event and the theme and figure out the structure and, and, and the way to make that structure impact the reader. Well, 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 thank you for saying that. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great writers out there that are doing, you know, it's not like I'm like some genius or anything that could figure this out. One of my favorite authors in the world is Jeffrey Ford. I mean, I just think his work is just remarkable in the science fiction field. I mean, science fiction, fantasy, anything actually. Mm -hmm. he, he could do just about anything. So I shouldn't even limit him in that respect. And Ursula Gwynn, um, you know, just fantastic author. But using narrative structure, but also landscapes of the physical space to sort of help to echo what it is that you're trying to say is something very, a lot of authors have played with. Mm -hmm. um, I think the only thing that kind of made my book sort of stand out was that I, I sort of introduced the idea of computer code in there and sort of using code as prose. I loved that. Oh, I thought it you. was wonderful. <laughs> it was a very scary thing to buy um, because it was like, um, you know, a lot of people just see the code and then they just blank out. Like, I'm not even going to try to read that. And it's like, well, you know, to try to try and push that level and sort of, you know, say, you know, code is not that scary. It's sort of, it's sort of fun. Um, but, um, there's a lot of authors out there that who really played with, with these ideas. And honestly, that's what I'm, I'm sort of following a tradition in a, in a way and sort of push, trying to push the edges here mm -hmm. and there. Last episode, Jen shared a book that resonated with her. Their eyes were watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't already. To close this episode, I'm going to start a new occasional segment that I'm hoping listeners will be able to contribute to. I'd like to tell a story via books, in this case a story about faith and religion. I still distinctly remember the first time I noticed religion directly addressed in a fantasy novel. In C.S. Friedman's Black Sun Rising, the priest Damien Vrice vouches for his companion, a man he doesn't truly trust yet. And indeed in the moment it's not quite clear that Damien's choice is the right one, but for me the scene was the first time I saw a piece of my own life, a church and a member of a church turning for guidance to an ordained minister when she is at a loss to understand how to be in the world. I've since encountered other times when fantasy stories picked out recognizable religious moments. If Black Sun Rising reflected my understanding of a faith community as a place to turn when you're feeling lost and alone, Catherine Kurtz's Dearney novel showed me pomp and circumstances, and also priests who turned to words and the rules and ceremony of their tradition to understand the world and their place in it. In A Canticle for Leibowitz and the Sparrow, I've seen religious institutions transformed 
and different members of the community participating in different ways, whether with fervent faith or simply because the church is, as it has been for many people I've known, a source of community. Most recently, I teared up when reading Nisi Shaw's Everfair when the characters gathered together singing a hymn. It's been years since I attended church, but I still return to the hymns I grew up with as a source of comfort, and seeing that manifested in my reading was an emotional moment. To varying degrees, the Christian church, as a message of faith, an institution, a set of words and practices, and a source of community, has been an important element in my life. I can see that story in key moments of resonance with books, the institutions and the people who are called to it or bend it for their own ends, in Kate Elliott's Crown of Stars series or Catherine Kurtz's Dearney novels, the faith and the community it offers, seen when the supplicant approaches the priest in Black Sun Rising, and the balm to my spirit when I set down Everfair, closed my eyes, and sang... There is a balm in Gilead. If you have a story that you can tell with books, please let me know. This was a particularly personal story for me that's been bubbling inside for a bit, but I'd also love to hear about the books that defined or redefined the genre for you and how that has changed. Get in touch if you've got a story that's well told through the titles on your shelves. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at jsuttonmorse. The show is on Twitter at kingcabbagecast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.